This program is part of Full Service Radio, an internet radio station and podcast network with over 32 weekly shows broadcasting from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. All of our hosts are Washington, D.C. locals, covering stuff like music, arts, culture, identity, politics, and so much more. Visit FullServiceRadio.org for all of our programming and enjoy the show. Full Service Radio also supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast. It's Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. I yeah. get confused. Industry we have night, two radio dude. shows. It's Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast uh, with David and Nikki Nellis. Uh, Foodie and the Beast is our broadcast show that has been running for the last nine years here in the D.C. area. And it's more of a variety show dedicated to what's happening in the food, wine, farming world, anything to do with food or spirits or brews or wines. Or travel, a little luxury. Or, yeah. We hit a lot. Hey, take us on a trip. Yeah, exactly. So this show's a little that's different. That's why I include travel. This show, that's right. This show is a, is more of a deep dive into uh, specific subjects of interest. Mm-hmm. And tonight, we're diving into a subject of particular interest to me, although I think I overdid it yesterday watching football, and that's craft brewing. Well, it's not just craft brewing. We're talking beer. And we have two really good friends who are both in studio with us. It is uh, Dave Coleman and Mike McGarvey. They are the two behind Three Star Brewing. And these guys are really like the two almost first guys to start brewing in the district. Am I wrong? Almost. Right? We're close. We're Pretty close. close. Yeah. Like, but you were part of the tsunami of beer being created in the D.C. metro area. And 10 years ago, or maybe more like 15 years ago, that just was not happening. So before we get into where, like, how Three Star became what it is today, which is, like, incredible. Your growth is amazing. You're Let's, bigger than Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's why. You look like Ben and Jerry. I'm <laughs> oh, <laughs> just kidding. That's a dirty <laughs> So let's start with how you guys got into this like where did it start where did your love for beer begin seventh grade (laughs) yeah right okay seriously more like sixth grade okay uh so mike and i met uh through my old employer the big hunt i was the beer director i feel like you have to keep saying that fast yeah no no i think you should say it slower otherwise people get confused that's the point yes i know really so so telling me Mike was one of our guests at the Big Hunt, mm-hmm. and uh, I was the beer director and general manager there for about 10 years. Mike was working at uh, XM Series Radio and was home brewing, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a hobby of his, and he would share his beers with me, and I would critique them, and you know, we would get in conversations about it, and eventually it became something that he and I did together. Right. Um, so we would basically get together once a week to get hammered in his kitchen and make a mess, and call that brewing beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened for a little while, but as we saw kind of the craft industry taking off here in DC, we were kind of pushing ourselves to take it more seriously. And so we a stopped drinking while we were brewing, and okay. we set up a lab in his basement and basically set out to do like brewing on a more serious home brewing scale. So I'll let Mike what talk. Does that, yeah, what does that mean for people who don't home brew? I have no idea. So what does that mean? How do you play around with that to come up with what your tr- whatever it is, the end product? Well, in, in homebrewing, you're doing basically the same thing you're doing in making real beer, um, production beer, commercial beer, however you want to call it. Um, but you're, you're doing it in smaller batches. And in some cases, people are doing it with a lesser degree of seriousness. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he says, you know, we kind of put the beers down and... And started to focus on, on. Um, we can hear you now. Yeah, Yay. sorry. The, the <laughs> well, whole let's talk about like, what, to me. like if you're a home brewer, what what do you need? You need bottles. You need bottle caps. You need some hops. What else? I mean, I how mean, does it you work? basically just need a couple buckets and some water if you really want to do it on the cheap. Sounds mm-hmm. sexy. But the the more and more you get involved in it, um, the more and more you're you're trying to advance the flavors of what you're doing, mm-hmm. and so people often invest in more equipment and more equipment. Um, just things to make it cleaner, right? Uh, okay, glass so- versus plastic, things that you can clean better and keep more sanitary. And um, so it's it's sort of the scale of equipment sometimes allows you to make better product. So when you both start, we're playing in your basement. Mm-hmm. Was there a 
ton of information available? Or were yeah. you there was. Okay, yeah. so there was a ton of information. And did you what know? year was this? I mean, when, when was uh, it? So it was around 2007. Yeah, 2007, 2008. Right. When, when we were in our serious startup phase. And did you did you think we can make a really good beer? Like people want this? Well, we did because we were we were brewing beer and then taking it around to parties, sharing it with friends. Mm-hmm. I was bringing it uh, to places that I probably shouldn't have and sharing it with people and asking their opinions. The police station. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm often there. Um, <laughs> that's but, where we met. Yeah, that's, that's where I met Nick on, on a Friday yeah. night. It was weird. We'd both been announced hey, Morgan. It's Passover. Let's have some beer. Um, but we were, we were bringing it around and we were sampling it with friends and people were giving us positive feedback. And at the time, there hadn't been a brewery in D.C. in over 50 years. Right. So Mike and I were both kind of at the pinnacle of our careers, our respective careers mm-hmm. of, you know, I'd been bartending for a decade at the same place. Mm-hmm. Mike was working at Sirius XM and we were both kind of like, what's next? Right. Like what's, well, what are we going to do next? And we saw this market just, that was jonesing. I mean, we, at the big on, I had people come in all the time who were like, what's local? And it was nothing. Well, so had the term uh, craft beer really been part of the vernacular yet? Cause I feel like it, you guys were part of the wave that brought that in. Am I wrong? It didn't get killed so badly as it has now. Right. Right. It was. It, it just was, used to describe everything. Right. It used to be. I mean, people people back in the day talked about microbreweries. Right. So they'd refer to like Sierra Nevada as a microbrewery, which could hardly be the case now, where they're pumping out. Right. A microbrewery is just a brewery that produces a small amount of beer. Right. 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 So wasn't Anchor though the first official craft brew that was was I think in 1965 or 70 they started. That could that could be argued any any number of ways. You could argue. Oh, I'll that argue. It's, Let's oh, argue. I know. I know okay. you love to uh, <laughs> debate debate squad for you. Um, you could argue Sierra. You could argue Anchor. You could argue Sam Adams Brooklyn Brewery. Any of those. But guys. wasn't it because I mean the whole thing happened because you had Budweiser and you had Millers and you had Pabst Blue Ribbon and mm-hmm. all that and they all pretty much tasted like. The same? Pretty much the same. same. Like yeah. Yeah. creek so, water. So those you are know, called were, macro breweries. Right, but they had no body to them. And so home brewers, after a while, started to say, you know, this tastes better. Let's give it a shot. Well, why don't we back up a little bit? Let's talk about the history of beer. I mean, sure. people have been brewing their own beer for a really long time, right? Yeah. yeah. Since they didn't know they were making beer. Right, exactly. So, I mean, a, a, you know, when you look historically into the history of beer, it's someone who sort of came upon a thing that they left out and Mm -hmm. it fermented spontaneously and became beer. Okay. And so that's sort of where all this started from. Well, we were talking before cereal out. Beer was safer in some places at some times to drink than, than water. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look back at like European context of brewing, uh, you had a large span of time where water was not potable and was not safe and was wasn't sanitary mm-hmm. so farmers and like farm owners would uh brew beer and feed it to their farm hands quote unquote um it was a safer alternative and that was also where some of the lighter abv uh styles were developed explain like abv so alcohol by people, volume there we go Thank so you. how how boozy it gets and how quick it gets you i bet they didn't get much work done on those farms <laughs> well they well but that's the point they did low ones so right people they did. were not get drunk get drunk yep so you had to, you had styles like saison that were basically created it's a farmhouse ale. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that was created basically for the purpose of giving to people who were working the fields during harvest time. And it was an alternative to giving them water that basically would put them in a hospital. <laughs> I'd rather and, drink beer and, than go to the hospital. Right. Yeah. And they'd use whatever they had available. So, so what were it could they have using? a lot of wheat. It could have a lot of barley. Mm-hmm. It could be made of, you know, whatever they could ferment, really. And most grains will prevent or pr- provide some form of fermentable. So over the years, as it became mass produced, how did that, what was the change? Like where, where was that? Was it industrialization? Where did that whole yeah, beer process change? Definitely industrialization. Okay. And did it start in Europe? Like when did America get in on it? Well, the, like first, d- yeah. the first beer that was brewed here was beer brewed on a mass basis, it was in like the 1850s, wasn't it? Well, yeah. there was there was a lot of that, but I, I think where you saw a huge change in kind of the American beer scene was Prohibition. Mm-hmm, sure. So all of the little family companies during Prohibition, they all went under, mm-hmm. and only the big guys survived. Well, take, take just a minute. I mean, you've got 
Germany has a huge, massive brewing um, culture, culture. Right. Yeah, right? So does Belgium. So, uh-huh. does, so does England. So all of these had their, you know, their industrial revolutions really where you scaled it to a level that people were producing barrels and barrels and thousands of barrels of these products. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the founding fathers came over, they brought all of these things with them. So right. that's where you have kind of your American things started. Um, prohibition way much later, you know, is where we, we kind of, there's a lot of things that drove prohibition. So right. I mean, but also prohibition also decimated, you know, decimated, decimated the Absolutely. beer scene, the cocktail scene, the wines. I mean, everything that was growing here in the States became, yep. you know, had, they all had to start from scratch. Well, kind of. And, but there's, there's yeah. a lot of components there because for instance, pre-prohibition, you wouldn't find women out drinking in a bar. Mm-hmm. That just wasn't a thing. So during Prohibition, when you had, for lack of a better term, like the flappers and like mm-hmm. the whole... The like, 20s, the, right. The, the, yeah. yeah, the 20s. So you had this scene that all of a sudden it was like, we could only get our booze in one place and that speakeasies. And now all of a sudden the culture of... Now the culture of bars and nightlife has changed. And it really introduced, you know... Um, it used to be you go into a bar, and I'm talking about a long-ass time ago, mm-hmm. um, and it's just guys. It's just guys getting off work, having beers, and then going home. Right, like after like working in the shipyards kind of thing, or right? Or the steel mill or right. whatever That's you have. That's what I'm thinking, right. Yeah, right. right, okay. So you're talking about, but there you go with, in, with industry. Mm-hmm. But then you introduce this new thing where it's kind of like bootleggy and it's speakeasy, and now it's like a fashion-y thing. And now you've got men and women together in bars. Now there's like the influence of jazz and everything like that. And it, it changed the whole dynamic of the American craft beer scene, or the American beer scene rather, just kind of overnight. Mm-hmm. And with that though, during Prohibition, like I said, all the mom and pop shops, all the like one family brewing operations, they all went out. And the only ones who were left after that period of time when we repealed Prohibition were just the big guys. So you went from a town like Milwaukee having 150 breweries to having one. Wow. And, and some of that was driven through franchise laws and things like that. I don't know I where mean, that all right. fits. I'm sure that all falls into it. That's but I'm sure some of it was really on purpose too, right? Yeah, there, I mean, especially yes. that time things were, I mean, things were so corrupt back then as opposed right, to as now. Right, as opposed to now. Right, right. as opposed yeah. to now. Different, yeah. different kind of corruption. <laughs> but I mean, but there, there were still lobbyists then and there were still people who were advocating on behalf of these mega family macro mm-hmm. breweries who were getting legislation passed so that it wasn't friendly to a small startup. So like 70 years ago, Mike and I could never have done what we've done. Mm -hmm. And even when we opened in 2012, we weren't allowed to sell pints on site. We weren't allowed for people to consume more than 12 ounces on site. So So who lobbied for you? Aside from yourselves? All of the breweries, actually. Well, right, because... Is it the Brewers Guild or... Yeah, for you the, guys really for had the a pint law in particular. Because you had opened up your own tasting rooms, and you couldn't, you couldn't. I can't remember what couldn't you do. You couldn't sell. Couldn't sell for on-site consumption. You, you couldn't drink right. a pint. And you could have a taste, it. but you couldn't. Like you can go to a vineyard and you can taste all the wines that they offer. But then if you want to buy a glass and drink it there, you, you can, can do that too. Right, right. Right. But you couldn't do that originally. Couldn't, right. Couldn't do that in 2012. No. Right. And a lot of the area breweries. I think this was actually before the guild was even formed that a lot of the area breweries worked together to get that legislation the, passed. The guild was kind of the point where we all really came together in, well, you needed in a way other. that we could work with the city to change that. Okay, so let's now that we sort of have this history, when you guys got together and you built out your little system that you were working on in your basement, mm-hmm. what was the first beer that you were like, this is what we want to bring to the public? Like, what what was the flavor profile that you were working on that you're like, this, this isn't out there. This is what I want to drink when I go out, and I think other people do as well. Pandemic Porter. Okay. So we had a 9.6% ABV. Um, so your average glass of wine is between 12 and 14. Uh, your everyday swill beer is around 35 4%. Mm-hmm. So we came in with a 96 So when we launched, we had Pandemic Porter, Southern Bell, which is an Imperial Brown Ale brewed with pecans at 87 and we had peppercorn saison at 6.5. So everything in our portfolio when we launched was high octane. Okay. Um, but that was what Mike and I, I think when pandemic, when we finalized pandemic, that was when we kind of looked at each other and said, we could take the Pepsi challenge with like the pros. Mm-hmm. So let's do this. And what were considered, when you guys were doing that, 
what were considered the pros then? Because, I mean, it's such a different world than it was just five years ago, you know, as far as the beer scene and, and what's out there locally, nationally, but did internationally. Did you mean the pros, Bud, the big boys? Yeah, so no, we, no, no, no. We don't like Founders, yeah. Bells. Yeah. Th- those Avery. were some of the guys that we were, we were looking at um, just that were making really good craft product at the time. They were some of the bigger places even even though at that point in time. Yeah, and, and I mean, one of the benefits of me working at, at the bar was I got to taste everything. Mm-hmm. So I'd have reps in and out of my door all day long, every day of the week. So I'd sample. And this is before Uber. You must have been <laughs> a mess. Well, I lived like five blocks away, so I just walked to and from work. It was, it was convenient. Um, but I get to sample like everything from across the country and from other countries. So when Mike and I would do recipe development, there was this real kind of like a... A benchmark that we could like shoot for and so we drink founders porter or avery um yeti or like any of these big beers that we were like really like just great divide yeti great divide sorry not mm-hmm. bad yeah um but <laughs> thank we're, you thank you for the, yeah, clarification. For the clarification very yes. important thank fact you checking, fact yes. checking this is real news right um but mike and i were able to like kind of hold ourselves up against this and kind of build our recipes accordingly. Mm-hmm. So we knew when we launched that we didn't want to come in and just kind of do run-of-the-mill things. We knew we wanted to come in and be like a boutique house and do over-the-top beers. And that's what we've been delivering on kind of well, since day one. Can we talk a little about the business side? Because it's one thing for two guys making great beer in somebody's basement to go, you know, let's get some costumes and put on a play <laughs> and to actually, to actually go through the process of building out a business plan Getting financing, the the architecture of a brewery and a and a tasting room and all, all the stuff that you have to actually create well, and, and the legality of it, didn't yeah. you? I mean, what do you? So when you made your first, when you made Pandemic, where'd you guys make it? That was at the brewery. So you, that's the one of the hardest things about the whole business model is you can't really brew drop one until it's all in place, equipment, licensing, everything. Right. Right. So let's talk about that because, again, people like, we know lots of people say, I want to own a restaurant. I want to have an Italian restaurant that's better than Fabio Trabocchi's. And, you know, I don't like, know okay. anybody who's yes, ever you do. said that. <laughs> really? Did yeah. you meet them in Arlington one day? Uh oh. Sitting Ooh. at a table across Shots from Shots fired. Oh, they <laughs> yeah. didn't say that. But yes, he okay. did. Yeah, Sorry he again. did. Said that to me. Anyways. Well, that's, you I know what? It's the first thing, like, when we talk to people who are aspiring to start breweries, that's the first thing we do is back up to, like, the business side. Where's the business? Ca- like, yeah. have you done your business plan yet? Because mm-hmm. that is the number one thing you need. Um, and that's going to change five to ten times while you're working on it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to learn and you're going to change, you know, based on based on that, you're going to change what styles you do maybe. There's there's so much that goes into so that business plan. did you need outside plan. help to figure this all out? Did you have it, a business advisor or a brewery nope. advisor? No. Or did we you have, have any sort of mentor? I mean, how did you know, like... The- this is going to sound like such a, a naive question, but how did you know what to buy? How did you know what kind of equipment you needed? And I mean, you had to have been guessing on some of it. That's my. Well, so my my background before I was at SiriusXM, I was at Accenture. I did a lot of um, business planning. Um, did some startup work. So well, you're I, the I, money guy. I had some ideas on how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we did find people along the way that were willing to talk about how they done it. And there were more mature breweries that we talked to, asked some questions. Um, worked, you know, with you, yeah. worked with them. Worked with them. Did collabs. some collaborations. You did do collabs Yeah, we did collaborations right? along yeah. the way. Right. But, you know, you have, like, two to three questions you can ask anyone, and then beyond that, you're asking way too much. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's a lot of research, especially as far as the equipment's concerned. Um, calling around, trying to find used equipment, things that could bring our costs down to start up. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. For so sure. when you opened up the brewery, and this is in Tacoma Park, right? Tacoma, D.C. Tacoma, D.C. Yep. Um, when you opened that up, it was much smaller than it is now, right? Same footprint. Same footprint. So we but still did you have the same, <laughs> those big tanks? A lot no. Of no, empty no, 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 right? A lot, of, a lot empty of empty space. space. So, you had, so you, had, you had plans. You knew where it was going. You saw it. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't get into something like this um, without having a plan because, I mean... At the time with how the market was and 
how the stock market had treated everybody, and this was like this was a just, bank, like right after the bank crash, two thousand eight. Right, right. So, so the banks crashed. I need a beer. Right. right. Well, also, you know, we weren't we weren't able to identify and uh, secure a lot of uh, funding, external funding. So this was a project that Mike and I had to kind of go all in on. So you don't put your house up as collateral without having a plan. So when you sign a lease on 15,000 square feet and the landlord says, yeah, I need collateral. And the only thing you have to offer is your house. You better have a you plan better be for damn a, sure. Yeah, right. just, you better be which, sure. You know, your house is collateralized like 10 times over by the time it's all done. Everybody has rights to our homes at this point. Like, <laughs> hey, man, get that on the down low. There's people listening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't, you don't go into a situation like that without A, a plan, and B, confidence. Uh-huh. So one of the things that Mike and I, that really gave us the confidence was, um, Mike and I are just two very different people. Just totally different skill sets, totally different uh, things that make us who we are, two different ways of thinking about it. Uh, you, you could throw out a puzzle and we can both solve it, but we're going to solve it two totally different ways. Um, and that was one of the things that really gave us confidence to put our houses up as collateral and to formulate a plan for how are we going to fill this space? How are we going to move this business forward? And now we're almost five and a half years old and it's just been execution, planning, communication, um, and having, I mean, down low, it's having faith in yourself that you can pull it off. And also just, <laughs> you can't, is this on regular news? <laughs> you can like, say whatever you I want. I can say whatever I want. Go ahead. So like, you can't fucking quit. Right. Like there's no way you you're can quit it. because you're, you're in it. it. Right. right. You, and and it, the only alternative is giving up and like walking away from everything. And like, there's no fucking way that's going to happen mm-hmm. because... Because you got a family and you got a life and, and you got a mortgage and, and you got done, and you got employees you, that you, you care about, anyways? right? And what are you going to do with all that beer anyway? Right. I mean, right? you drink, it. It. drink it, <laughs> drink it. So when you started with pandemic, you knew? Did you know? Did you plan that far ahead when you were building the brewery that you were going to do three, release three, and what were you going to release <laughs> them in? Were you thinking bottles? Were you, like, did you already know? Like. Cans, I think, were just coming. No, not yet. I don't no. think we were that far. No. Okay, so with, tell me. With everything, at we that point. we did everything in draft to begin. Because um, you wanted it in restaurants, restaurants and bars, yeah, but okay. also restaurants because we've always kind of uh, we've always kind of guided our our path with chefs. Mm-hmm. It's always been something that we've been attracted to. The same way that chefs design dishes and menus is something that we think about when we're designing beers. So we're all draft, but not just because we wanted to be in bars and restaurants, because canning equipment, bottling equipment is a whole other animal. It's so expensive. It just wasn't in our budget to launch. But did you also think visually, like, did you see it in your head that there'd be like a three star lever, you know, with a big tap handle? Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, we've always positioned three stars to be um, just just a, a, a differentiated product. Mm-hmm. Mike, Mike said that word to me, God, it has to be like nine or 10 years ago. He said, so how are we going to differentiate ourselves? And I, said, like, I said, all right, bro. Can I Google basic, that? Can basic, I Google that? This is like basic startup <laughs> stuff. Right. right. And I was like, I, was like, I wish more people were thinking this right I was, now. I was like, what do you mean by differentiate? Right. And he goes, well, why is somebody going to grab this instead of something else? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I was like, okay, you could have just said that instead of using your fancy mumbo. Joke. That's marketing talk, baby. <laughs> it's called right. the SAT words, yeah. right? SAT right. words. I only took the ACT. Okay. So, and I did damn fine on it. I'm sure you did. <laughs> but don't get defensive. It's still a long show. <laughs> it's a little early. Um, but wait, so, no, no. We, we oh, haven't really answered the question. So how did you differentiate Be- yourself? Well, wait. There's more to it because once you do all this stuff and you get all ready... If you can't find shelf space and you don't have customers, none of it means shit. So, yeah. so did you, before, I mean, even we, before the brewery was open, were you taking around samples to people saying, we're going to be making oh, wait, this? When did you, you want- come on Foodie and the Beast? You guys weren't open yet. Yeah, we came on before we were open. You came on before. Yeah. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah, we definitely did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was- we had pre-sold a lot of the beers and concept to people, kind of like, like hey, who if we made this, right. would you who, carry Who us? were your first customers? So First. before we before we even launched, um, one of the things we did to try to help us secure financing from investors, you went to some people who said, yeah. went around to what like, would you buy? Yeah. How much would you buy in a month? Right, and would you put it on a piece of paper? Right, for the would bank? you sign? Would you sign right. a letter of intent? Right, non legally binding, mind you, because it's right. DC. Right, um, but we went to Paradiso, went to 
church key went to Brickskeller. I wrote my own letter of intent for the big hunt that I would buy all of it. Um, <laughs> dear me. Dear, right, exactly. I love you. What would I, like? I love me. This is so good. I'll buy all of it. Um, but that was like something we did in, in advance. But then when we opened, we only had X amount of beer. And we couldn't even keep up with our first 15 accounts. So I did all the self-distribution. Mike was... I remember seeing you, like, walk into places and dropping it off. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike was brewing it all. Mm-hmm. And so we were we were a two-man team. He brewed. I delivered in the back of his Tahoe. And it was it was awesome because, the let's call it the first two years, so we have about 115 accounts at that point. All of those accounts are still our accounts. That's amazing. And some of them have been, like lifelong i mean it's like friends now it's it's family these Mm -hmm. are people who we've been partnered with for five plus years well i mean i think the thing is about not just the dc market but this industry in general it's a lot about who you know and how you know them relationships relationships are are, pretty friendly sure yeah but not Um, only that relationships are really important i just got the high sign that we should take a break so why don't you take us out all right well we are talking uh beer here with Three Star Brewery, uh, and we'll be back in just a sec. A little relaxing instrumental here on the break. It's by a producer named Keto. that's K-I-E-D-O, out of Brooklyn. Find him on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash keto. Again, that's K-I-E-D-O. We'll be right back with Industry Night. music jack <laughs> Woo. all right we're back on uh, industry night with foodie and the beast we're talking to dave coleman and mike mcgarvey of three stars brewing i just asked what are the three stars and it's the three stars on the district of columbia flag because the brewery is actually located in the district of columbia so what were the laws when you guys started like what were there was there a lot were things already changing when you guys were getting into it because i'm trying to think who came up with you DC, DC Brow had right. changed things so that growlers could be poured. Okay. And so that you could do free so, tastings. But what about, tastings. wait, 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 but what about distribution? Like, was that, that already was existed. It, it was already it was there, already there. So it but wasn't a hurdle? But change things, do they go to the city council and just, and testify and say, this is what we need to do to grow this business? And, yeah. Increase the tax base in the city and that stuff, that same old talk? That's that's how it started with the city, but the city has now become very proactive in trying to help as they it's find in, It's things. in the city's best interest to have a yeah. vibrant food and wine community. What, we have distilleries now. We have breweries. We have fi- an urban winery. finally hit them that there was money to be made. Yeah. And all of those different channels. So Mm -hmm. because we have distilleries, because we have these wineries, we're finding that they're all influencing the laws. Right. And all of those influences come back. And the um, so Fred Musali Mm -hmm. with Abra will come to the guild or come to an individual in the guild. So I'm also a board member on the guild. Right. Um, All of the founding brewery members have a, a member on the guild. And so they'll come and they'll they'll say, hey, we're thinking about doing this, or here's what we're proposing for the omnibus bill this year. Mm-hmm. I and think that's so we amazing. get an opportunity to talk about but it. But I think it's great that you guys all play in the sandbox well together, because it's probably right. imperative that you do. It'd be really hard if you to, to get to, without yes. that. It so would be really let me ask yeah. about the Budweiser's and the Miller Coors and all that, those guys who are losing market share yeah. to you they are now yeah 
Uh, what well, are they doing? That's why they buy us. What? Well, yeah, so that's why they keep buying they buy craft that the goal? They buy No, no, not for us. Our, our goals currently are just to create the best liquid that we can make. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the goal. We have, we have our heads down, and we're working to just solidify ourselves as you know, top-notch ringers. But you both must smile when you see some of the new marketing campaigns, like especially in the last two years, coming out from the big brewers. You know, they're... They have totally taken the word craft and, you know, bastardized it completely. It. Yeah. Right? Like, yep. so it must make you smile It's a like bit. organic. <laughs> it's like artisan. artisanal. Right. artisanal. Right. Yeah. Words that we don't need to say anymore. But you are part of this trend. So I think for people who don't understand what craft, I'm going to put that in quotes, what craft beer is, how do you... How do you Differentiate de- it. Or designate mm-hmm. it. What, what does it mean to you? So... From my perspective, and Mike may disagree with me here because we don't really have conversations about this, but uh, from my perspective, it's it's independent breweries not owned by a massive conglomerate who are driven by product and quality. So the Brewers Association could elaborate on that and say X amount of barrels and this, yeah, that, and the next a thing. More, yeah, there's a couple more. I mean, the Brewers Association the has, has rules on it. Um, but from my perspective as just a person in the industry... Um, independent, quality-driven, and for our side, I mean, I just want to make new and exciting and fun things that create new drinking experiences for people. I don't want people to sit around and drink the same old bullshit every day and just go, oh, I'm just drinking beer just because I need to drink beer. Like, I want you to drink beer because you want to drink this and you want to experience it. And that's got to be the motivation behind chefs making new dishes. Any product cocktail people doing new cocktails anything that, that's consumable you mm-hmm. want it to be a new experience all right so let me ask you something is sam adams still a craft beer or is he a, is it a big, yeah. big beer? wow <laughs> that's that's a tough one i mean by definition, I only ask the hard by definition yes they still are um, are they independently are they trying uh, yes they are okay are they trying to fill that craft segment absolutely they have their own experimental brewery in Boston. Um, I think I believe they're building a tap room out in, in Boston as well. So, w- what I would say is they're they're kind of it's challenging for them to just do that overnight on an, a national level. I mean, so they found can you be a we, national? They're, they're beer. trying to see if they can build that kind of a buzz in Boston now. Mm-hmm. But oh. I mean, so they're you, trying as they're, a local beer. Yeah, they're really. Can you sense. be? Can you be? Because you can get a Sam Adams in San Diego. You can get a Sam yeah. Adams in, in Japan, Butte, Montana. So can you be that big and still be a craft beer? You know, focused on I want people to taste this beer and I want to make it. You know, another well, I think if you listen be. to yeah. Dave, but you got to make it special. About, Dave says it's all about the product. You, you right. can totally do that. I mean, at least I believe you can. Um, we're not on that level, so I've never executed that. But I would say that it, it just, I mean, it's so corny, but it depends on where your head and your heart are. You know, like, are you thinking about quality and craft in your product and, like, how you're delivering it to the guest? If you are, then, yeah, you can do it on a national level. If that's the focus and the drive behind your brand, then as long as you can execute and you channel that message down, then, yeah, you can do that. Or how about, how about this? Look at it this way. Are they doing it when they create three different colors of a label and call it something different, like Summer Summer Brew was this year? Mm -hmm. No. Are they doing it when they do something like Utopia that's a completely unique thing? Yeah, they kind of are. Yeah. Okay. Um, when they're well, looking at different they're in the IPAs middle ground they're trying to do. Being a big hoss and being a craft beer. Yeah. Once they get that big, I mean... By by definition, when you're that size, you're you're. I mean, you're really producing on a mass scale. Yeah, it's but assembly because, line beer. But wait a second. But just because you're producing on a mass scale does not mean your commitment isn't still there. If you have quality control on your product, then why can't it still be considered a good beer? Just bec- I feel like sometimes these words are used as such negatives, like. Why should you guys be limited in size by the kind right. of how your product no, gets I, out there? What I'm saying it. is artisanal, real artisanal beer is not produced on a mass scale. But what and I'm, I'm saying I think right. you're wrong. But I and think I, you're and, wrong. And I, that's fine. You guys can we handle can have this after. It. Yeah, right here. <laughs> handle it afterwards. It's all over. Um, and I have an opinion on this as well. Oh, so. good. So, Yay, we love opinions. So my opinion would be that it really depends on what your focus is. So can you do 
high quality product on a large scale. Sure, you can. There's many, many successful companies no, out there. Mercedes does it, but right. And Mercedes is still a nice automobile. I've never driven one, but I'm going to assume they're a nice car. Um, you can come with us after the show. Sounds good. I have a Mazda. Oh, you sound like you sound like a snot. But I, <laughs> so what? Come on, even it's all right. Hey, you, you worked for it. You yeah. earned it. Um, no, but we, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I don't think that size dictates whether or not you're a craft brewery because if you look at it, you want to talk about quality control. Quality. Nobody does quality control the way like Budweiser and oh, yeah. Coors does. From a it. consistency standpoint, I mean, from a consistency standpoint, mm-hmm. their beer, can to can across a thousand different lots, is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. So that's quality control. And they've here. probably rejected five batches that didn't taste exactly so like that. Why don't they do? Why, I mean, why don't they make real beer? Because it's more expensive. It's expensive, well, yeah. And it so, eats so into the margins. It's my two cents. Mm-hmm. Sometimes finding um, there's there are scaling points, and sometimes you can make a beer so big, but you can't make it bigger than that. And, and that's where it's, that's you, where it breaks you find down your for points them. Where right. like you can scale flavors to a certain. That was point my point about about um, Sam Adams. I mean, at some point, you're not what you were. But right. Sam, but like but Sam Adams Belgium, Boston Lager. I mean, I mean, there's have it anywhere in the world. It's going to taste like Boston Lager, mm-hmm. and it's going to be. Would you call it a good beer? Maybe it's not what you want to drink. It's an okay beer. Sa- it's not Sam a- Adams is up there with the demigods. They're Sam Adams Sierra Nevada, uh, Anchor Steam, Anchor Steam. Yeah, I mean, these are the people who laid the foundation. They're what we call the like the original guard. Mm-hmm. They created craft as a segment. And we benefit from the groundwork that they've laid. But that doesn't mean that you Mike want to order the, their beer. <laughs> right. But that doesn't, no, no, that doesn't mean that Mike and I. We said it here first. No, Dave Coleman no, is not say ordering that shit. a Sam Adams beer. <laughs> I didn't say that. Okay. Dave Coleman <laughs> says that you guys suck. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't say that either. But Mike McGarvey and I, like, one of our things is that we kind of thumb our nose in the, yeah, in the, uh, we thumb our nose at tradition. Mm-hmm. No, I just, think I just broke my collarbone, <laughs> or, or Mike just cracked a two to the dome, which is going to break his collarbone. Um, but we don't, we don't really like, we don't believe in moving our brand forward as traditional. So we don't brew a lot of traditional stuff. We do new ingredients, new uh, new items that we can get now that weren't around ten years ago. We use those ingredients. So what does? All right, so let's talk about these ingredients because that's something we haven't really gotten into so and like collaborations when you, where you know, everybody's when you, when you started with pandemic what did you have in it or a saison which i would like you to explain for people who maybe don't really understand beers and don't understand some people don't understand that there are all these different beers like an ipa and and, and what it all means like for the uninitiated if you can give us a little sort sure. of dictionary yeah. of a beer terms yeah, so IPA is an India Pale Ale, typically mm-hmm. a hoppy beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you don't like the bitterness of hops, sometimes those aren't. Beers Why is it an India Pale Ale? What's India got to do? With it? Yeah, Indian. So this is no another, India. This is India. So it's, it's India. India. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. look oh, at the yeah, yeah. oh, look at the foodie trying to tell the beast something. All right. <laughs> oh, the beast knows all right, this. listen. It's a rare moment. Okay, snap, don't get ahead snap, of yourself. Snap, all right, snap, my God. So I'm going to live off this for weeks. And so that is the problem. IPAs <laughs> were an export product, mm-hmm. and. At that time, you had col- you had British colonies all over the place, um, India being one place where British colonies and were the very strong. Beers would come out of there. They would so they would be shipping them from uh, from England to India, and it would be an India Pale Ale. The hoppiness in the beers would help them to keep. So hops, yeah, hops are, are preservative. Um, they'll stave off bacteria. So oftentimes you had an Indian pale ale so that it wouldn't sour while it yeah, was shipping. Yeah, we know this. We give this to our sour. farm workers. And they're, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so, you so that's Indian pale ale. All right, and a Saison. Saison, meaning Seasonal. season, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it would be a farm-type ale, something that might have wheat in it, might have malt in it. It would have really what the farm had available during that season. You would store that. It would be something you could store for a while. You'd move on to sort of the next quarter or harvest of the farm. You'd move on to the next one. Then you have porters, dark, Those malty are dark, beers. Right. Um, what often makes them dark? They, well, the malt makes them dark. Um, they were named porters because they were a working man's beverage. And oftentimes porters were 
after Laborers, work drinking right. porters. So yeah. now is the dark, are the darker beers more have more alcohol in them? Does, no, does one have anything to do with the other? I was just curious. No, not okay. necessarily. And also a uh, common misconception is that darker beers are heavier. Well, because they look it. I mean, it's a visual thing. Right, it's right. a visual thing. But if you look at something like Guinness, Guinness is 4.3% alcohol. And it's like so thick. It's, but it's, it's actually not. very light. It's I know, but you light. drink one Guinness is like drinking a steak. It feels <laughs> like well, it just made. has a lot of iron in it. That's why. <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, Better so, than mercury, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Saisons tend to be a more yeast-forward beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, IPAs, Pilsners, more malt. Forward beers, hop forward, hop forward. Okay, sorry, so, hop forward for so the here's my IPA. Question. If, if um, IPA, if you're making an IPA, you're making an IPA. Some other beer companies making an IPA. What's the difference? How how do you stand out with your IPA? What makes your IPA better than somebody else's? Well, that's and and that's the differentiation part of all of it. Mm-hmm. We work hard on multiple facets of the flavor profile for an IPA. We look at the aroma, we look at the mouthfeel, we look at the flavor, we look at the bitterness. Those are just four items out of probably like 15. Because mm-hmm. you're also looking at color because there is that visual perception. Um, right now, you know, there's, oh, there's a whole thing around haze in IPAs yeah. and a what? Uh, haze. haze. So how bright the beer is okay. can, be a, mm-hmm. can be something people care about. Yeah, and it's, um, it's funny, it's... it's Beer, beer currently, right now, was it the 22nd, 22nd of January, mm-hmm. yeah. 2018? Beer right now is in a crazier state than it's been in 10 or 15 I, years. I would maybe say ever. Yeah. Just because there's so many influences from the big guys trying to figure out where they fit to the guy who just started yesterday trying to figure out where he fits. Well, also, you have, and you mentioned this earlier, but you have restaurants like... Becks and Church Key mm-hmm. and um, uh, what's the other neighborhood Blue restaurant? Blue Jacket. Who they're like? We are about beer. I mean, when Church Key opened, they had five. They offered five hundred beers and not bullshit beers. They were like, no, no, no. We are carrying quality beers, according to Greg Engert. You know, it, no. It was, I just like that we're on non non radio, oh, so we can swear. I can actually hear you swear. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. I feel like it's a Friday night. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's always Friday night when you're with me. That's right. Um, anyway, uh, do you know what I mean? So, like, don't you feel that these kind of, because you've got Publican in Chicago, you've got all these beer-focused places that are looking for you. Yeah. Do you know, to bring in. And so how do you, with these concepts, how do you, how do you get your beer there? Because I assume you don't want to just be, you're not just in the D.C. market. No, we're, 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 we've... <laughs> We've extended our reach quite a bit. We're uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, New York City, Boston, Miami, and occasionally San Diego. Um, but we do that. It's, it's all based on the quality of the beer. Mm-hmm. And when you get around to festival season and you start traveling because there's, you know, Beer Advocate Invitational, Extreme Beer Fest, Wake Fest. I mean, all these crazy things. Are there are, competitions for beer? There are. I just yeah. don't feel like they get that much attention. G- GABF is the Great American Beer Fest. It's the largest beer festival in the entire world, I mm-hmm. think. And is that through the Brewers Association? Yeah. Isn't there the National Brewers Association out of Colorado? Right? Yeah, Denver. Out of Colorado? Yep. Yeah, out of Denver. Okay. So this, mm-hmm. that's their fest. Um, it's, it's huge. It's a huge competition. But it doesn't really work for breweries like us because we don't brew true to style. So a lot of those awards and those medals go to people who brew a traditional Pilsner or a traditional Kolsch or an American lager. We just don't make that beer. Well, so what is your beer? So when you do a Saison, like with peppercorns, Mm -hmm. is that really thinking out of the box for the beer world? Yeah. um, Things like peppercorn Saison, things like the Grapefruit Ghost, um, things like Starsky and Dutch. Those are all beers where we're trying to push that envelope of what's traditional and that pendulum swings like way far away from us too. Things where people are doing, you know, crazy stuff where you take a sip and you're like, um, it tastes crazy. I'm not sure it's for me. Totally batshit. To like the other direction where it's like, oh, that's too boring. So, um, you know, we try to make all the beers stand out on their own. And, you know, 
every month what it takes to do that kind of changes a little bit. All right, I got a different question. I'm going to take us in a different direction because when conditions are ideal and weather's great, deer are making love all over the place, and suddenly there are too many deer in the forest. Same with craft brews. I mean, anytime something becomes like a thing, everybody starts getting well, into it. Well, there's always a pendulum so, swing. Well, the question is, is that starting to happen? Will it happen? I mean, is there, are there enough you know, beer mouths in the country and the world to take care of everybody who's, who's out there? Or are we going to see, I mean, is, is, be. is what Sam Adams is doing the only way you can really go unless you just say, okay, we can be small and have a, you know, our, 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 our you know, boutique business? So you remember when everybody opened up on 14th Street? All of those restaurants that opened up. And, and all everybody that. was like, oh, so many restaurants. And do we so, have the people? Do we have the people? Do we have the people to staff them? Do we have the people to, to well, order? Well, that's another direction right, right now. That's right. what I'm saying. Staffing like, is a problem. Yeah, but, but do we also as have... As it is in do brewing. We, do mm-hmm. we have enough consumers to keep all these restaurants alive? So what you're seeing right now in craft beer is, you know, Mike and I might have been like one of the last people in the area to like... Get in while the getting was good, because right place, right time. Right place, right time. Well, that's right what time. I mean. But, I mean, but also, so since we opened in the DMV, you probably have fifty new breweries over the course of the past five years. Right. Just here, so, how many? Yeah. Probably yeah. fifty so, in the DMV. In the so there could be more. Wow. Than that All right. So that gets back to my question: Is there a die-off coming? And, that, and I was getting to you, David. Yes. Well, you I was, know, I was, you're right in front of me. You've, I know. You've already but, gotten to me. But I think that. That's going to be something that's dictated by the consumer. And sooner or later, just like with restaurants, the consumers are going to dictate who opens and who doesn't and who stays in business and who doesn't. And I think the same bubble will happen in craft beer that you'll see the people who are in it for the wrong reasons or don't have the passion yeah, or the skill. Yeah, but can those people even get It's just like if you want to get a product into Walmart. They're shelving fees. I mean, there's only so much space on the shelf. But he's answered your question. No, he hasn't. Yeah. Yes, and he has. It, it's harder and Back harder. Back off, baby. I know. Here's the question. Can a guy who starts a brewery now, let's say my Can he bar, get on the shelf? Can, can he, even if it's good, can he, unless it's mind-blowing, can he displace somebody who's got the relationship already and who's been in there no. three years? Right. No. So right, but if he, but there are but people. If, what Dave just said is that if there are people who don't have their, it's not a passion for them anymore. The pro, sometimes people start a product or or, or a passion project, and mm-hmm. they're really into it at first, and maybe it gets a couple placements, and they're like, "This is great," but then they they get unfocused or uh, they lose they lose interest. It's like having a kid, you know. You really I like lost it. interest in my kids yeah, a long time I know. ago. You really like them for the <laughs> first need six months. We have <laughs> you, you, you like them a lot for the first six months, and right. then you're like, then you're, like I, you're just crawling. keeping me. You're just keeping me up at right. night. Exactly. So, David, to answer your question, <laughs> yes, Mike. For speak some to me. people, you were, you were with Accenture. You for, and I can. Speak for some people, language. if your approach is an on-site kind of a concept where people are coming to you, you don't care about distribution. Absolutely. Right. Restaurant. That would be the best place event to space. open right now. Right. Even, even if it's just a small. That's that's what we see a lot of these smaller breweries in Virginia are tap room only. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But if you do, in other words, at some point, unless you you expand your space and millions more people. In other words, you, you, you want your business to grow. You don't want to stay. Nobody. It's what we were talking about before. Nobody's happy with where they are. Yeah. Everybody wants more. Every restaurateur that's got three successful restaurants wants five. They all look at Jose Andres or... or uh, 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 well, so you're highlighting part of the problem right now is that... Greed. A lot of people that are entering right now think automatically, I need to open my tap room and I need to be distributing to like Which is not three how it states. works. Right. That's not how people do it. Right. That's not how we did it. We built a brand first. We self-distributed. And so we had something that people wanted. If you're going to start up and you just expect people to want it, then great. Do lots of brand marketing, lots of, lots of shit so people know you're coming. But the idea of on day one you open and you turn your brand over to a distributor, understand that what's coming with that is a distributor that already has hundreds of people asking him for to take their brands right. and he's going to take yours at a much letter a much lower percentage if than someone all. else right well so let's talk about your flavor profiles because you brought in a bunch of beers today and we haven't really discussed what we have in front of us now is this what's 
offered right now? Like, how many beers? How many beers are you guys? How many different kinds of beers are you guys offering right now? So right now in the tap room, uh, we have ten different drafts. Okay. But I had to take three drafts off in order to put on new releases for the weekend. Okay. So we are currently constantly having ten unique offerings in the in the tap room. Do you repeat offerings? So we always carry our core. So Peppercorn Saison, Above the Clouds, Southern Bell, and Ghost are white IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, those are always on. Um, but we also have our Mike Isabella Concept Saison, uh, which we brew as a proprietary. Because he does all the... He, no, no, no. But Mike does... So their <laughs> brewery... It's in my notes, man. Yeah, not no, read no, the no. notes? <laughs> uh, their brewery is a fabulous space, and you do events there. And Isabella Catering, Mike Isabella Catering, does... One of our partners. Yeah, yeah they're one of your partners. catering for yeah. weddings and, mm-hmm. and rehearsal dinners and the, and the like. Okay, so go ahead. So you brought... What else? So we brought Grapefruit Ghost, mm-hmm. which is brand new, dropped... Uh, brand new for this year, dropped last year, uh, but now we did it with 340 pounds of grapefruit puree uh, for 30 barrels. So 91, 93 gallons of Can liquid. I try it? Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah, not that one. Okay. That's so, fine. what are we looking for in this? Uh, grapefruit. Just grapefruit? <laughs> yeah. But what is it done? Like, what's it done with? Because there's that, what's that? Um, there's like a grapefruit beer soda thing. Yeah, you know Rattler. Okay. Rattler. This is not that. This Ooh, is but our... it really smells like grapefruit. It's very wow. grapefruity. Um, so you're looking at uh, 340 pounds mm. of grapefruit puree for 93 gallons of liquid. So if you do the math, it's... No, he says no. no. He says no, you're wrong. Off. My numbers are way off? Yeah. That's it's possible. Okay. It's late. It's yeah. okay. And it's Monday. Um, this is delicious. All right. How about two to the dome? Yes. So that's our double dry hop, double IPA, uh, 8.9% alcohol. Is that why it's two? Well, there's multiple reasons why it's two to the dome. Well, the Mm -hmm. dome is the head, I assume. Or the the Capitol building. I don't know. (laughs) One or the other. Um, (laughs) But uh, that is built on uh, Mandarina Bavaria, uh, Columbus, and Azaka hops, and then double dried hopped with citrulupulum powder. Which is an. I awesome. didn't understand a word you just so, said. Yeah, it's you cool. totally have lost. So me. wait a minute, that brings up a whole. So other... another way you're differentiating these double IPAs. There's lots of new hop. Products. Well, that's what I mean. Are farmers developing new strains of hops that add different every kinds day? Of... They've they've figured out. So one, they are developing new strains, and they're crossing strains, but they're also finding that's cool. they're is that finding new lab? ways to process them. How do they? Are they? Are they? I mean, how are they creating those hybrids? So most of the college programs around the country now do some form of, in these engineering schools, do some form of hop research or, um, uh, I don't know. Cool. Like, yeah. just sort of, so are they, are they like, splicing them? Yeah. And oh, yeah. Them to, like, so yeah. do, have you talked with, just like, you know, restaurants talk with farmers and they're like, dude, you know, grow me this. Are you are you looking mm. for something from hops yet? We, are you there? We don't quite have that kind of relationship. It's okay. not there yet. It's the, a the, huge the farmers industry. drive a lot more of what's going on because it is such a huge industry. Where are right. hops grown? Are they grown all over America? Yakima. Pacific Northwest <laughs> is the that's right. is the major. We should spot. do a field trip. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> okay, you guys are paying, right? <laughs> uh, we'll hopefully get the Come supplier on, to pay. R and D. R and D. Supplier. Um, and lastly, we have Starsky and Dutch, which is our double Dutch chocolate stout. Uh, we Can I use, smell it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You Please. want to, you want to grab that? Yeah. Uh, we use undone chocolate nibs. So mm-hmm. undone is a local uh, chocolatier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we know them. Yeah. They do great stuff. Their chocolate's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Expensive. Very well, expensive. It's but the hard fabulous. part of being a small batch chocolatier. Just like Ooh, in brewing. Oh, it smells really good. Oh, it's so chocolate, Nick. You're going to love it. Ooh. But so, okay, so tell us more about this. Starsky. So double Starsky. Dutch chocolate stout. It's, mm-hmm. um, we mash with Dutch processed cocoa in that beer, which is different. And you should put typically a scoop do of that. ice cream in this and just call it a day. Right? <laughs> it's pretty tasty. Yes. You can make a little beer float with this. Oh, you got to share the wealth. All right, here, don't says, right. says Nikki, who we all know does not like beer that okay, much. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, I am not a huge beer drinker. But it's, Daddy likes beer. David mm-hmm. likes beer. I, it's not that I, I just, it's not something I go to order, but I do 
Thanks like to our, you guys. Like I really like your beer. Like and yeah. over the years, I mean, I definitely have developed a palate for it. And they're like, the grapefruit one is delicious. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're all delicious. See, I just don't think to order them. Starsky and Dutch is delicious. But I think if I drank one of those, that would be, I wouldn't be able to. It's it needs a scoop filling. of ice cream. It's good. You got to get it and in front of. You know what? Of, no. Get it to Gina. Tell her to put uh, ice cream in it. Can you imagine? Because most beers you can't drink with dessert. Imagine that with a big piece of birthday cake. Mm-mm-mm. It's delicious. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. And so, where can people find your beers now? Other than the tasting room, obviously. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> What's your web address? Three stars, starsbrewing.com? Three starsbrewing.com, the number, not the letters, uh, not spelled out. Uh, we're, at, we're everywhere. Uh, any local mom and pop shop that's worth their salt, they carry us. Uh, Odd Provisions, Divines, uh, Harris Teeter, Whole Foods, Safeway. Uh, yeah, you guys are Does moguls. that include going up and down the eastern seaboard, or are you just in restaurants outside of the D.C. metro area? Outside of D.C. Metro, we're in corner stores, liquor stores, grocery stores. Um, if you go to New York, you're going to find us mostly in the craft beer-centric bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really our focus there. Uh, Boston is both package stores and... Packies. Yeah, pack, package stores and restaurants. Um, craft Beer Cellars is a national chain now, I think. Uh, we have one here on 8th Street. There's mm-hmm. one, one or three in Boston. Uh, they carry us. And down in Miami, you'll find us basically anywhere that you source good beer. So are you, you're not self-distributing, though. You have to go through a distributor, right? Yep, yep, yep. So when you work with a distributor, they have to, what you would hope with a distributor is that they love your product enough to sell it. And then when they sell it to whoever they're selling it to, that That's those people. That's no, how no, the no. reps make their money. I, well, if the, you would the, let me finish my point. My oh, point no. is, is that you want it to be in places where people are going to be like, Oh, this is three stars. Let me tell you about it. You want people who are c- as committed to your brand as you are. Right. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's how you that's how you get further. Right. Yeah. All, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So do you go up with them? Do you introduce yourself? Do oh, you yeah. shake hands? How does that work? Uh, yeah. Myself and uh, Mike D are uh, now vice president of sales. Um, he, that's a fancy title. Well, he was director of sales, but he, he earned a promotion, <laughs> and now he's vice president of sales after me as president. Mm-hmm. Um, not giving that one up yet. Uh, we travel. We go to New York. We go to Boston. We, we visit markets. Mike and I visit markets as well um, and just kind of go around and do face what they call FaceTime in the corporate world. You've got to do it. Yeah, you well, have you, to. You can't it's all relationships. Just signing with a distributor is going to sell your product. Right. You you have to be a part of that sales team. Yeah. And you have to, and, and the distributor, as your partner, wants you to be in market. They mm-hmm. want to see you in their town selling the beer and giving them support so that when their guys go out, it's like, hey, I know you ran to Dave who owns Three Stars. So now I'm here well, with the products that we actually have. Words to the wise to our friends in the wine world. Same thing. You got to show. You got to be around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of breweries out there who sell beer here in D.C. that send out a rep once a year. Like, that's just not. If you're if you're a small guy trying to, like, carve your path in the world. That's just not how it's, it's going to happen. It's just not how it's going to happen. Yeah. You have to have boots on the ground and, like, yeah. people on the street who are repping what you're doing. Even if it's a part-time kid who's going around and visiting accounts twice a month, but you have to have something. No, I think FaceTime is yeah. absolutely imperative, it, and because you want people to be passionate about, they you want somebody who has your passion for your product. Because right. as we were talking about earlier, there are a lot of products out there, and if you go to a place like Church Key, where there are five hundred offerings, you don't want to get lost in that mix. You want yeah. the bartender to say, "No, no, no, you definitely want to try this three-star beer tonight." Yep. Don't you think? Yep. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all relationships. Yeah. All right. Are we done? Is the show well, we're kind of done. Yes, yeah, let's talk are. about right. next week. Okay, wait. Before we talk about next week, hi, Gina. <laughs> Gina Tresavani and her children. Yeah, we have oh, a glass in studio. So yes, it's like exactly. Being a, it's like being a goldfish. Um, okay, <laughs> let's once again give everybody your uh, website, please, and please tell everybody where they can find the tasting room. Okay, so... Three Stars Brewing Company located at 6400 Chillum Place Northwest. That's Washington, D.C., 20012. Uh, website, www.3starsbrewing.com. You can find us on Twitter, Three Stars Brewing. 
You can find us on Facebook, Three Instagram, Stars Brewing. The Instagram, whole thing. Instagram, Three okay, Stars so Brewing. Okay, so the tasting room, when are you guys open? Just quickly. We are open Tuesday through Friday, 4 to 9 p.m., Saturday, 1 to 7, and Sunday, noon to 6. Come and by. And we do private events. No, and we do private it, events. And we're working you on a major a, expansion out at the brewery right now as well. Well, you call space. it a tap room, but basically anybody can come. It's like a bar, too. It's a bar, yeah. And, hang yeah. Out. and uh, you can come hang out. Uh, we also do a private event, so if you're looking for a place to host your next uh, office party, birthday party, wedding party, we're whatever. gonna have our we're gonna get married there again. Again, renew those uh, vows. Uh, <laughs> that's event, she keeps begging me. That's events at threestarsbrewing.com or uh, yeah, just uh, come into the spot and say hello. All right, all right, guys, thank you so much for Thanks everything for today. Thanks it was really us. fabulous. So next week we're going to be talking about a different kind of fermentation. We are. We? we have Hex Ferments coming in. So they're out of Baltimore and they do kombucha oh. and uh, krauts. And actually, they just won a Good Food Awards in San Francisco this weekend. And it's all their products are all about the belly. It's all about the probiotics, probiotics. and what it does for your belly. And I am so looking forward to bringing them in because they're all also bringing a local bartender from um, Baltimore with them who uses their kombucha with um, with alcohol. So yeah. it's going to be fun. <laughs> anyway, we want to thank you all for listening today. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast on Full Service Radio. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.